Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. And this is Robbie Martin. Welcome to Media Roots Radio, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Double, double whammy. We just put out um, one podcast all about the latest news, Stormy Daniels, John Bolton. Now we're going to talk about all the Russia stuff, Cambridge Analytica, and a little bit of this musical chairs going on at the White House. So yeah, thank you for listening. Donate to our Patreon. Check out Robbie's interview with um, Liking Online, a guy who was covering the Share Blue David Brock operation um, that really dwarfs the Russian troll stuff. So check that out. And um, uh, also check out his interview with Yasha Levine about the um, military history of, of the internet. We weren't lucky enough as a podcast to get the, pre- the press blast in mainstream media that some other left podcasts mysteriously got. But we did over the weekend, or sorry, over the last week, get a mention in Politico, which was very unexpected in their roundup of, um, of things to check out throughout the week. One of the things they said to check out that was Bay Area related news was the Media Roots Radio episode uh, interview with Yasha Levine. So that was kind of bizarre and unexpected. I think that's actually the first time Media Roots Radio got mentioned in a mainstream paper. So yeah, no, that was great. Yeah, Thanks to pat pat ourselves on the back for that. Uh, It's the first time we've ever gotten a shout out and it wasn't negative. It actually just like recommended people to check it out as like an interesting interview. So yeah. And it's also Israeli apartheid week. Um, South Africa hosted this huge film screening week and also was able to get our entire Palestine series aired on their state television. That's amazing. Which is just incredible. I saw that. Congratulations, Abby. Oh my God. It's incredible. And also Kenya showed it. So, you know, even though we're not taken seriously in this country, it's amazing to see a country that actually survived apartheid, literally, um, is now on on the forefront of fighting Israeli apartheid and, and is recognizing our work and, and sharing it. And I really, really appreciate that. Everyone check them out. They're, they're BDS South Africa. Give them some love. So let's talk really quickly about Andrew McCabe. I know that this is kind of nothing compared to the John Bolton thing and everyone else who's being switched around. The, the part that I find funny about this guy, who was the former FBI de- deputy director, this is according to the New York Times. He was a frequent target of President Trump's scorn, right? Like really lambasting him about the Russia thing. Like Trump fires him. Andrew McCabe comes out and says that Trump only fired him because of this, because he was about to like let loose about the Russia thing. And what do the Democrats do? What do, what do people do in regards to an FBI veteran gets fired? Oh, all of a sudden we should go fund me for his pension. Very incredible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you said that there's not really evidence that he would have been this big smoking gun or brought to the table testimony that would really indict Trump, right? No, not at all. He's saying that it's part of Trump's ongoing war with the FBI, again, well, painting this narrative that Trump is somehow like fighting <clears throat> the deep state that's trying to take him down. Total bullshit. Yeah, watch this Jonathan Turley appearance on, I think it's on MSNBC where he sort of lays it out and it makes a lot of sense what he's saying. And basically that this wasn't a political firing on behalf of Trump, like the media is trying to spin it, that this guy McCabe actually did something that like violated some ethics law or something that the people inside this branch of the U S government, like usually wouldn't come down this way, but they did on him and they weren't Trump appointees. They're like seasoned government employees or something who just, who ultimately made the decision. I'm not trying to apologize for Trump or saying that he's not firing these people in political ways, but it's just, 
it's just ridiculous to paint that there's like some big smoking gun that's about to come out and that Trump is just somehow like keeping a lid on it. I mean, and but at the same time, like he is mysteriously firing other people seemingly because he's getting more and more egotistical and like refusing to listen to anybody. So yeah, that that's what is I think it is more time. It's people that are just like bucking his superiority. Yeah, and he's just like, like McMaster, firing them willy nilly, like Rex Tillerson. Like that, that Tillerson, has nothing to do with McMaster. Russia. Very fascinating. And I honestly think that that's why on our last podcast, I was mentioning that the Republicans on like Fox News are starting to get really antsy about how Trump is acting about this Mueller investigation. Yeah, because he's he just looks guilty as hell. Yeah, he just seems like he's digging himself a deeper hole than he should be. He's right, not and being if he testifies, that could be his downfall because we know that that's how Clinton yeah. was taken a down. A perjury I mean, trap, apparently. Exactly, and Trump yeah. is so dumb and is such a pathological liar that of course he's going to lie under oath. Yeah, it's but the I mean, worst idea in the world. He's been sued before and has had to testify under oath. So, like, maybe he's savvy enough to know how to just like say yes, no, I don't know. Right. If he can do that. And that's pretty much with Alan Dershowitz, who's such a piece of shit, you know, Epstein, mysterious Epstein um, colleague, was saying on the show last night. Like, and even he seemed concerned. So I was really surprised by that. And it does seem like Trump is spiraling out. And the fact that Jared Kushner might even, could even be indicted, possibly. Very interesting. I mean, that's what yeah, well, Steve Bannon said, yeah. that Kushner shit is greasy. That's what he told right. Michael Wolff and, and the uh, Fire and Fury. It is greasy. Yeah, it's greasy um, as fuck. He's a total slumlord psycho mm-hmm. who, you know, who has so many shady dealings. And I mean, he could very well get indicted. I hope he does. And, and who let his, let his wife uh, go on a date with like a 70-year-old music producer? Very interesting. Did you see those photos of Ivanka holding like yes, little test tubes? Yes, I did. <laughs> what the hell was they that? They almost looked like they were like promo test screening shots for like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> sequel. <laughs> Like where she was like mixing the ooze or something like in a lab, <laughs> like she was playing was April just, O'Neil. <laughs> just hunt, just just trying to figure out the cure for cancer. Just she kind of looks like another Megan day, Fox, so it kind of fits. It's like a new just teenage another day, another Turtles. dollar, saving lives. <laughs> oh God, the new, new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was so hard to watch. I watched it when I was really sick, and I just could not even look at the turtles. Wait, like, you why would they make the CGI them look so bad? Like Shrek monsters. Yes, and even Splinter looked so ridiculous. The only good-looking one was Krang, kind of. Oh yeah. I mean, it was just nuts. Why would you make them look so scary? Like, were they not trying to franchise this at all, and or get like good dolls or anything? I mean, there was I... no thought whatsoever about making them look remotely but good or cute. You're right. They were remotely good or cute, but they looked like they also looked really hard worked on, like photorealistic, which m- must mean they were very expensive. So, like, you wonder, like, <laughs> yeah, they blew it. Bit, like, it's they like totally hundreds of millions of dollars into like the CGI of these awful looking turtles. They're horrible. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ivanka is a nightmare. She's, you know, posing with these test tubes. It's like everything she does is such a joke. Kushner, I hope Kushner gets indicted. Look, I'm, I, I don't know what the firings are. It, it does seem suspicious, but at the same time, we've not seen any evidence whatsoever of, of Russia collusion at all. It seems way more evident that he's panicking and just firing anyone who doesn't fall right in line with him. Because as yeah. we know, he surrounds himself with yes men, well, if and he does not like it when someone bucks him. Let's look at it from his direction. So let's say he's right. 
for sake of argument, that this is a political witch hunt of some kind, that the full weight of like the neoliberal and like DC, like seasoned professional establishment is coming, gunning for him and wants him to be impeached, including even the allegation that, that possibly people in the Obama administration maybe even help grease the skids for some kind of trap that he would easily fall into because he's so dumb. It, let's say all that is true. And I'm not saying it is, but if all that's true and it is just some kind of political witch hunt, then that's designed to, on some level, because if they can't really find any evidence, then it's designed to put heat on him and make him act reckless and like fuck fuck himself. It's Operation Mindfuck Donald Trump. Just like like I was saying a year ago. And if that's the case, he already totally fucked. I mean, he, he totally fell into their trap. I'm just saying... In theory, if that's what's happening, he already made the mistake of acting really scared about it on yeah. Twitter and then like hiring different lawyers and like firing different lawyers and like releasing these statements, making accusations to Robert Mueller through his lawyers. It, it just makes it look like it's really having an effect on him. Don Jr.'s getting a divorce in the middle of this. It's having an effect. I mean, this is doing this is fucking up his whole life. Right, it's like his kids are just pariahs. Everyone hates them. They're probably yeah. just you know. They're oh my not god, it's coming at him from time. all sides. Like everyone right. hates his guts. The only right. people who like him are like the dumbest motherfuckers ever. Right. Or just like partisan, like totally knee jerk reactionary people. Like, I mean, he wants to be liked. He wants to be loved. Um, it, it, yeah. yeah, no, you're right. It is Operation Mindfuck, and it's working like a charm. Did you see? And I don't even want to get into this because it's so disturbing. The Don Jr. like thread to that woman where he was like saying, "You're on your period." Like, I wanna, I can't even, I can't even. Wait, handle what? It. Like the crazy. woman you he was having an affair this? with? No, he was like hitting openly on women, brazenly hitting on women on Twitter. Donald Jr. Uh, yes, like while he was right after he had like a one of his infant children over DM. Yeah, and he was like, he was like, oh, some woman like joked on Twitter. It's so disgusting. She was like, oh, I almost had a hernia taking out my tampon. And he was like, oh, like, did it smell like bacon? What the he was like, fuck? That, that's how fucking cra- no, seriously, he ha- he's like a sick motherfucker, dude. Weird. So he that's has like how a he hits on women, finish? dude. Yeah, I guess so. Damn. So and Trump's then that new- kids, like, I mean, Trump's kids are makes nuts. me think that Trump's dad like bought them porn stars. Like, this is like cartoonish level, like degenerate rich boy shit. So who knows what they look so inbred. I mean, it's they look way more inbred than the royal family. Yeah, they really do. I don't know what happened to them. So so it could have just been, I guess, that he was a serial cheater. (laughs) Um, But remember, like uh, almost like a month ago, someone sent apparently white powder to his house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his wife opened it and had to go to the hospital. And Stephen Molyneux and Prison Planet and everybody was like, "This is a deranged Antifa leftist." Yeah, dude, it. totally. <clears throat> oh, and Jack Posobiec and all those, you know, sh- total charlatans. Oh, I love how Cernovich, after the Austin bomber, he was like, well, this is exactly the tactic of Antifa terrorists. Oh, yeah. Like, and then what? he deleted sorry, the tweet. When? When has an Antifa terrorist put a bomb on someone's, like, doorstep? Yeah. Can you tell me that? Yeah. God damn. Ugh. And, of course, he deleted the tweet. Yeah, these people are monsters. I mean, I just have, like, I cannot understand how... Anyone could take a leftist seriously who says we should work with people like that. I mean, can you imagine being that desperate for like clicks and that much of a grifter that every time anything happens, you just come straight out of the gate with like this crazy ass narrative? Like I, 
Alex Jones is is on another level, but like people like this, it's it's mind blowing. I I can understand it if you don't if you're just in it for the game and you're not in it for like truth telling. I mean, and it's I mean there really is a distinct difference. There are people who the are actually are a huckster. Yeah. I mean, and let's just be honest. Most reporters who even maybe think they're interested in truth telling are like misguided or misled or willfully ignorant. But mm-hmm. a lot of these, specifically like these alt-right people, they understand how the game is played and they're very good trolls. They've w- seen the way things work on the internet. They've used lots of sock puppets before. They just care about like winning the game. And I think like Matt Drudge is someone who really understood this many, many years ago. And even Cambridge Analytica, they're on video saying the ex- pretty much exact oh, yeah. same thing I just said. Right. They're like, it's all about emotion. Like, it's not about truth anymore. Like, it's all just about, like, emotional... And Bannon understood that, too. Yeah, yeah. no, it's just about winning the narrative. It, and, it's always been throughout history. That's right. nothing new. But we've mm. tried to put this, like, oh, no, these are the rules of the game. It's like, but no, they're really... These rules can be all... Can, can be broken. They're not, like, written in stone. Where's the rule book? There's a rule book. You can run, you're, you can run a billionaire reality show host... And he could say, "I want to bomb the shit out of him," and it, nobody cares. He can say, "Grab him by the pussy on their tape. families." Yeah. yeah, doesn't matter. There's nothing against the rules there. Like, what are you talking about? No, you're you're absolutely right. Um, it is a game, and I guess that's the best way to look at it. These people are literal hucksters. They're not truth tellers, and that that is what they are doing. They are they are hoaxers. I mean, yeah, they'll do and say whatever they can. And to Alex get the Jones money to is, get the has always been like this too. I mean, yeah, I found a video of him from 1990, or sorry, from yeah, like New Year's Eve, 1999, right before the millennium, saying that Russia has just launched nukes. They are on their way to the United States. Get your belongings, f- run for the hills, f- you know, evacuate. And that Putin is a demon. He's, I mean, and he's basically saying that Vladimir Putin is the most evil person on the planet Earth. He's Satan reincarnated. He's a demon and all this shit. So Alex Jones basically just shifts to whatever he thinks will generate like the most hysteria and clicks for his garbage. Someone actually told me yesterday, they were like, why do you abhor Alex Jones? Because I was talking about how weird it is that Alex Jones shows up as a suggested figure on my Twitter. Whenever you go to my page, it says, here's another personality, just like Abby Martin, Alex Jones. Clearly a subtle smear, unless there's an algorithm that really does, maybe a lot of people hate follow him. I can't imagine that I actually have Alex Jones fans. Um, But it is bizarre because it never switches and it's been there for months and months. And um, I abhor everything that he stands for and everything that he does. But for some reason, it's still lumped in with this guy. And I think that Alex Jones will do and say anything he wants to. And it's interesting how quickly he he could flip to love Russia and love Putin and love exactly. Trump. And someone actually responded when I was like, this is completely discrediting that Twitter has this. They're like, why do you hate Alex Jones? They're like, he's against empire and war just like you. I mean, there's people who legitimately still believe this and that... I, I mean, I know that we say this all the time. I just can't believe that people believe that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's become quite clear that whatever position he's decided to take now is very distinctly rooted in this idea that it's not imperialism that's necessarily bad. It's globalism that's bad. So it's not capitalism. This idea that other countries 
sort of have influence in the world and can dictate, you know, that we can't just run roughshod over the whole world. So essentially, it really is compatible with like a neoconservative worldview in the sense that only modern neoconservative iterations have said that this idea of like internationalism is super important. They've wanted to pull out of the UN in a lot of their earlier writings. I mean, they just don't say it anymore. So that's part of like what's so interesting about it is he's come around to this view that largely it's not just that he's like promoting Trump and, you know, and not going after John Bolton. It's like the overall view worldview that he's putting out now, he's very pro capitalism, but anti-national like globalism. I mean, that is capitalism. Like in a, in a way, if you really want to boil it down, all these big corporations are international. They're not dictated by American law anymore. They control us. So I, I don't really know. Yeah, he just he's just one of the biggest opportunists ever, really. Yeah, no, it's like a transnational corporate class that basically is like 90% American, but they operate just with no borders or, or law. Like they don't adhere to any sort of like nation's laws. So if you're going to talk about globalism, it's really U.S. capitalists that you're calling out. But for some reason, those aren't globalists. Like, I mean, the Goldman Sachs VP who... Oddly enough, quit the Trump administration because he was protesting tariffs. It's like, oh, you're, you don't care about the Islamophobia, the genocidal warmongering or anything else. You just care about the tariffs and uh-huh. you call them draconian. <laughs> the guy left and he was like, these are draconian. Um, let's move on to the Russian elections. This just happened uh, in the last week. All over the news here, I couldn't even find one thing on Twitter or Google in terms of U.S. media that had a fair shake. Every single person said it was fraudulent. Every single person said it was fake. Every single person said Putin didn't win, that his opposition's in jail, that they're arrested, that they weren't allowed to run, that Putin is a totalitarian dictator and he stages these elections and has people bust out to stuff ballots and all of this stuff, right? So what do I do? I go straight to the to the nation because I know that Stephen Cohen um, probably gave a, a fair shake. <laughs> Someone who is like a leading Russia expert who spent decades in Russia and is really close to Russians. So I wanted to see what he had to say. And of course, um, it is completely different than what we hear. There was actual um, fraudulent activity going on. I'm not going to deny that. I, I think that just like in every election in America... There's fraudulent activity, right? There's there's sketchy things that go on at, at polling places, etc. That's happened in the last few elections. Of course, that's painted as a conspiracy theory here. People like Greg Palast and um, Mark Crispin Miller are painted as crazy lunatics and conspiracy theorists for daring to bring up the fact that we have election fraud. So that's off, off the table. But yes, there is uh, some election fraud in Russia. The thing is, Putin won more votes than he ever has before. He got almost 77% of the vote. So you tell me how much rigging was necessary in an instance where someone's going to blanketly take that much of the electorate. The most votes he's ever gotten in the history of Russia. So he's going to be president for another six years. It is un. It's just completely without question that he is a hugely popular and seemingly successful leader in the eyes of Russians. Um, The Communist Party, 
was the other leading opposition party that got the second most amount of votes. He did not do too well, this candidate. He got actually slightly slightly under 13%, which was less than the communist candidate got in the last election. So Putin got more than he ever has. The communist party got less than, than they had in the last election. Then there's another candidate who's also like nationalist, um, who got like 6%, hovering around 6%. And then you have two candidates. One of them, both of them are basically like liberal, pro-Western, anti-Putin. How many percentage did they get? Combined, 4%. And you look at the same reflection that their parties got in the parliamentary election, it's about the same. They got about 4% of the votes in the, in the last parliamentary election when it when in terms of the stacking of representatives there. It's just out, outrageous um, to claim that Russia, you know, that they're fake. Like even the Young Turks just did a whole segment where, where he's just like using quotation marks every time he says elections and Putin and oh da-da-da and just use the story basically about the people voting twice. Yeah, it is. That is crazy. That is a story. But you cannot talk about that without talking about the facts of what the political dynamics and history is. And yeah, just general coverage saying that they don't matter, that these are all fake, that elections don't matter in Russia. And then if they do talk about um, why people love Putin, it's always like, oh, because he he just like hates America. No, I mean, Russians see Putin as saving them from the Yeltsin economy. What you just said right there is is the spin. It's not it's that is only telling one tiny fraction of a larger truth. Exactly. It's he's not just anti-american so before a lot of this shit started i mean go back to like 2014 russians were still way more like patriotic in general about their country than we are here about ours in general they have more patriotism or nationalism that's already true and I'm not saying they all worship Putin. I'm just saying they're more prideful of their. But like, look at country. what they went through. They went yeah. through like a collapse of a state. So, they went through fight, actually beating Nazi Germany, losing yeah tens of millions of people. Like we will never relate to that because we don't have that yeah. rooted here. So that's notable in of itself. So when you go to like the present time, think about the way the U.S. has been treating them and portraying them for like the past two years in the media and in popular culture to the point where now it's like. Russians feel like portrayed as e- like the evil empire again. So of course they're going to like react by gravitating more towards Putin and just nationalism in general. Of course. That's, yeah, and that's so, probably why he had a stronger turnout than before because absolutely. right now he's painted as the villain of the world. It makes he's perfect painted sense. as this mastermind. They're going to yeah. gravitate toward the person because yeah. Absolutely. Um Stephen Cohen talks about how, you know, basically Russia's elections are a mix of authoritarianism and democracy. Sounds like ours, right? The presidential and parliamentary elections are far from fully free and fair. If you just look kind of similarly to ours, like there's a lot of control over funds, um, control over, you know, networks and media outlets in terms of who can get the most coverage and who is able to have the most influence, who's, who is and not in the ballot in terms of financial spending and backing, Um, But the March 18 election was not greatly constricted or fraudulent. You know, you wouldn't call them like totally free and fair elections, but it's completely outlandish to say that they don't matter and that this was not an actual result, that Russians did not give like a huge mandate to Putin and that it actually has a great deal to do with like what you're saying with the the fomenting of anti-Russia hysteria and the obsession with Putin in this country. It makes him strong 
it makes him look really good, actually. When people are looking in Russia and saying, wow, um, the U.S. empire is actually saying that Russia is responsible for everything happening in their country. Wow, that's really crazy. Um, so all of this makes him look good. It makes him stronger. And that's probably why we saw such a huge show for him. And every time you bring this up, whether it be Maduro, you know, people are like, oh, and you think, oh, wow, isn't that weird that all in the U.S. enemy countries, everyone just wins by a huge mandate. It's like, or is it because you literally have no idea what's going on or how these things function? And so you just automatically knee jerk to think that it's all a lie because the media said so. Or like in Cuba, I made a point to say that, yeah, the Communist Party is uh, the dictating line, but there is so much participatory democracy beneath that line. Anyone, I mean, I just went to some like huge colectivos in the barrios of thousands and thousands of people that would participate. Teachers, students, union members, everyone can be a part of this process and run. It's actually not that different than like the U.S. in terms of the Democratic Party picking out who they're going to back. You know what I mean? It's like people are like, oh, you, you dumbass. Oh, and the, the, there are no candidates. It's just the Communist Party, everything. Or like in, in Venezuela, they're like, oh, isn't that strange that Maduro just keeps winning? Isn't it weird that Maduro keeps winning? It's like, no, it's not because he has a huge amount of support. <laughs> yeah, like, it's I, like, I mean, what are you talking about? These people just act like it's just so funny how much of a high horse everybody gets on about how every other country is like corrupt that the U.S. coincidentally happens to like have like a hostile historical relationship with. It's like, why is it only those countries that we talk about that have like corrupt elections? Don't you find that odd? Yes, yeah, I mean, the, we all these other countries never get called out on it, and that are like probably just you know let's 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 say Venezuela is corrupt for the sake of argument. There's plenty of other countries out there that we don't talk about having corrupt elections that are probably like way more corrupt. So that's the that's the bizarre part about it. It's like this is obviously selective framing. I just love how Turkey is like taken seriously. They just arrested like a hundred <laughs> yeah. journalists. They like are fucking nuts, um, like rounding up political dissidents and somehow we're just like oh cool we can host nuclear weapons there and they're part of nato and they also like the invasion of afrin and all that stuff it's just nuts and then and then in the in the u.s um whenever they talked about the russia elections they didn't mention the communist party at all i wonder why that is even though the guy got like like the you know like actually 13 percent, which is hugely hugely significant in, in comparison to the you know third party candidates or whatever in this country, so it is a huge force and a momentum, a political momentum in Russia, of course. But of course, the media here didn't mention it at all. All they did was talk about those two like pro Western candidates that got literally like two percent of the vote, and then they talked about that guy, that anti corruption candidate who wasn't able to run. So according to Stephen Cohen, yes, that guy was not able to run because apparently he violated some law. I don't know the specifics of that. But he says that all the claims that this guy would have been some formidable like opponent, his name was Alexei Navalny. Mm -hmm. He said that when he's polled in Russia, he literally gets like 2% approval or like when, you, when you're polled in the electoral spectrum. So he was saying just because the guy has a social media presence and is out there talking shit about Putin doesn't mean that he would have actually like won anything significant or caused any sort of rift whatsoever. So just again, just Western media, they do the same thing to Venezuela, honestly, that yeah, every total, opposition person, they're like, Oh, he's blocking the opposition from winning. Framing. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it just appears true because people just don't dig any further than what they're hearing. So 
But yep, and and they're just losing their damn minds saying that, you know, all the opposition's banned or jailed and yeah. there's just no analysis at all whatsoever. And and there was actually a good article, I think Mark Ames is the one who posted it about how young people in Russia are Putin's or, biggest fans. Oh, yeah, no that was great. Yeah, no that article was like extremely revealing and I recommend everybody read it. Per, you it's know, like the opposite of our country. Contrary you know what I mean? to what Vice mag, you know, Vice news shows you. Not everybody in Russia thinks Pussy Riot is like the greatest band on earth. In fact, a lot of young people think they're bullshit over there. Like a lot of like young counterculture people do. You can watch interviews with like people with like piercings, tattoos who are not like fascist authoritarians in Russia who think Pussy Riot are posers and they're like US intelligence assets. So People there I mean, aren't they don't dumb. think it's cool that that they're like opening for DSA here. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we don't have to touch on that too much, but yeah, like I posted <laughs> something about the fact that DSA in Portland got asked to open for them, and because they agreed to play in Tel Aviv, Pussy Riot did. DSA was like, "Well, we want to talk about BDS and Palestinian rights as we open for you," and Pussy Riot's like, "Okay." So I posted something about how it was just like a bad idea to accept the invitation. And somebody from Portland DSA contacted me privately and they were like, can you explain more why this was a bad idea? And I said, well, I'm like, I'm not even talking about the Tel Aviv concert. I'm talking about the fact that they've been used as a tool by the U.S. State Department and like propagandists in the U.S. to like create this like propaganda against Russia. I was trying to explain that to her. I don't know if I really got through to her. But then there was more video that came out of Chelsea Manning opening announcing that Pussy I d- that Riot. I'm not surprised by though. And I was just like, "Damn, that sucks." I'm totally And then not also Chelsea Manning taking pictures of Molly Crab Apple and stuff like after she got out of jail and I'm just like, I don't know, man. I don't know what to think. I mean, um, I do know what to think, but I'm just not going to say. I'm going to read from this FS Gate um article really quickly just about the what we were just talking about. According to a December survey by independent polling firm Levada Center, 81% of adults approve of Putin as president, including 86% of Russians aged 18 to 24 years old. Among the age group, 67% told Levada that they believe the country is going in the right direction um, compared to 56% of the general public. So rather than dwell on Putin's crackdown on opponents, young Russians draw a sense of personal liberty from those freedoms they enjoy. Many of them reject state TV as propaganda, but nevertheless, nevertheless repeat its central tenet. And this is obviously framed obviously poorly because it's from Western media. But they said that they, they, they all believe that Russia needs Putin to stand up to U.S. aggression. And perhaps most importantly, like we were saying before, they're shaped by the collective history of fear of a return to that crisis strict, strict, stricken, excuse me, 1990s, the, the Yeltsin era of just, you know, the country in complete shambles where people were dying at like age 50. Um, so again, you know, and, and then it goes on to say that young Russians made headlines in the past year, as we saw those huge rallies, right? The anti-Putin rallies because of this guy, this, this Alexei Navalny, the guy who wasn't allowed to run that everyone painted as, you know, if he was allowed to run, he might've beaten Putin. Apparently, even according to the SF gate, they're, they're saying that he has no formidable, like actual, um, following that this was just, you know, it's really erroneous to compare those protests in Russia, like to the Arab spring or saying that this guy really had some sort of movement behind him. It was just kind of, he made some YouTube videos spotlighting wrongdoing and, and people, you know, that generated some rallies. 
so it goes on and on and on. I recommend everyone to check it out. It, it's just really insightful, especially since there's just a complete and total lack of any analysis, again, about Russian society um, and why Putin is so popular from our media. And I think that when we're just obsessing and, hy- and hysterically about Putin and Russia all day, that is a really important point <laughs> to- that needs to be brought up. Uh, in that interview I was mentioning last time on our podcast that Victoria Newland did about Russian, you know, Russia trying to create all this, so all this divide. She talks about how Russia created, used little openings to create conspiracy theories about the way that we meddle in elections so that when they did it, it wouldn't seem that bad. So this is like a, so for example, she was like, um, she was like, Russia says that we were operating like we were electioneering like out of the embassy in Russia to like help their opposition candidates. But that's not what the U.S. does. That's Russia uh, putting out a conspiracy theory using a kernel of truth. What we actually do is we fund all the opposition candidates like or not opposition candidates, but everybody (laughs) equally. We spread it the pool around to everybody. We don't have we're not biased and which can't like like parts of the election we're meddling with what she was saying is they spread the meddling around equally <laughs> like oh a, it God. averages out so they're so the way what we're doing is good because we're not like like preferring one candidate over another even though we're obviously not using like ngo money or whatever to support putin's re-election so oh my god isn't that bizarre an interesting distinction though that that would be like the difference between good and bad election meddling in foreign countries. But it's so not true. Oh, of either. course it's not true. That's Obviously insane. it's not, but like for the, for her to be so deluded and like just pickled in sort of the insider, like a uh, DC bubble for that long to act like that's like the difference between the good and bad is just very revealing it's in of itself. It would have made more sense <laughs> if she was like, no, we, we like fund who's like the de- pro democratic candidates. Instead, she was just like, we just fund everyone. Yeah, 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 <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. what? <laughs> so that, even like just, the fascists and Nazis. Cool. Yeah. And so like, and basically she was trying to say that Putin was very clever for making it seem like, we like just fund his opposition candidates or whatever <laughs> because that's the conspiracy theory that he's able to weave this dot connecting that they use in their media and they use in their trolling and she's like and it's based on like a partly true thing and then she all then she proceeded to break down how when she said fuck the eu she didn't mean it like she devalued the eu i didn't mean it like fuck yeah. the eu i meant like fuck the eu yeah. you know like <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> um, and then and then it's really funny because it's coming off the heels of Putin giving this speech that was actually really crazy. It was like him basically unfurling all these like nuclear weapons and ballistic missiles that he ha- that the country has generated and like showing videos of them and basically saying that basically the whole missile defense stuff that the US has been concocting for the last couple decades since MAD. He was like, that's null and void now. He's like, our missiles can, you know, complete, like you'll never be able to get away with like preventing our missiles from reaching the U.S. Basically, that's what he said. So it is just really interesting. He gives this huge speech in the speech, aside from saying the capabilities of their new weapon system, he talks about kind of a whole timeline of how the U.S. has fucked up everything um, since the Cold War. 
um, he was just saying that the U.S. has always denied um, negotiations, how they've they pulled out of the anti-ballistic missile treaty. How ever since they pulled out of the treaty, Russia keeps coming back and saying, what about this? What about that? The U.S. just scoffs them off, never has taken them seriously in terms of an actual nuclear disarmament or, you know, negotiations to 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 basically reduce their stockpile whatsoever. Instead, it's just the opposite. It's just the arrogance um, of the U.S. to be able to withdraw from all of these international treaties and then just work on their own and then act like whatever Russia's doing, oh, that's the threat. So it's it's incredible because he just goes through this chronological timeline of everything that the U.S. has done that's led to them doing this because they said they had no other choice. It's basically just the U.S. saying, we're going to do whatever we want and we're just going to act completely aggressively and not take the other largest nuclear power into consideration with anything that we're doing. And again, you know, in response to this, you see a lot of think tanks and ideologues saying how how crazed Putin is and how much of a threat this is. But you have to remember that the actual budget of Russia in terms of their military is $70 billion. Seems like a lot, right? Well, the U.S. military budget is $700 billion. $700 billion. So compare that to Russia, and it kind of makes all those little things laughable. And $700 billion is the is the highest single uh, injection in, uh, or like... Si- it's ever been right that Trump is at, is is trying to get yep. right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> that's fascinating. So basically, the people behind rebuilding America's defenses and like this giant surplus of equipment and forces and presence that this is this is their wet dream right now. So if they can get Trump to flip on Russia, it's all over, baby. I mean, they. I mean, like I was talking to. Um, I think it was Joanne Leon uh, recently who said that, you know, it seems like this could, they could almost be poised to turn Trump into the Hitler that they've been warning, that they've been like claiming that he's going to become. I mean, yeah, no, totally. It, it'd be to start World War Three. I hate to sound so dystopian, but this is, this is be seeming more possible uh, here. And someone like Putin, who is, is kind of like a Trump. In, a, in the sense that he is going to come out with, you know, his chest puffed up and he's not going to back down. And so this is to make him look strong. It is crazy that he would come out and kind of do this knowing what the response from the U.S. would be. But at the same time, it's almost like he's been backed up against a wall. Otherwise, he's going to look weak because we have just been apparently just sabotaging the negotiations for so long. Just like we have with North Korea. It's kind of the same thing. It's like... You know, I mean, it it seems crazy that he would come out and do this big show of force and show these videos and say, you know, we will have no choice but to to do this. It's like the perfect storm. It's like we've created the conditions to make this happen. Of course. I mean, I even show the scene in A Very Heavy Agenda Part 1 from 2007 where Eric Edelman uh, was in charge of sort of the missile defense um, shield planning in the Bush administration and all the press. As he's announcing their their plan to install this in Poland, and I think I forgot if it was in Lithuania also, the press is just like, isn't Russia going to be like really upset at this? Like, what? Why would you do this now? Because you know the Bush administration was on its way out. So every, I mean, everyone in the room is just kind of confu- baffled at this announcement, and that was what they did. And Obama, you know, dismantled the program. 
or said he was going to. I don't know if it got fully dismantled, um, but that was part of the reset. And, you know, it just, it's back on. I mean, it's almost like there's no way out of this posturing somehow. Right. It's just like a magnetic force that just keeps, I mean, and I act, no, that actually makes it me sound like I'm saying like, oh, we're stumbling into war, guys. Whoops. <laughs> no, I'm not a fucking idiot. I'm not saying shit Cartwheeling like that. into feel, war. I'm sorry I even made it sound like I was going to say something like that. We are, it just seems like there, it, it is some kind of machine you know, comprised of all these sociopaths that are just like, it's just like running on itself. Um, self-propelled. It's, yeah, it's very dangerous. Very, FYI, very dangerous. The, just the stumbling into war, Kane, Tim Kane, the Democrats that voted against the Yemeni war, uh, all these Democrats voted against that resolution that would remove U.S. troops from Yemen. And Tim Kane was just like, how many yeah, he's like, there? I support this resolution. This is really interesting, Robbie. NBC mistakenly reported that there were 600 U.S. troops on the ground in Yemen. Then they came out and retracted it, and they were like, we didn't mean this. We don't. The number's classified. Okay, so if the number's classified, then where did the fuck did you get 600 from? Samuel Oak, Oakford? He's Samuel the guy Oakford, who, or the only sorry, vice guy who ever referenced and properly said U.S. Uh, or that uh, Radio Free Liberty is a U.S. state-funded media outlet. On yeah, vice. no, he's he's good because he. <laughs> I mean, he runs Air Wars, um, so he he's really into just counting the civilian death toll and cutting through the rhetoric. But he he talks about how NBC corrected this. Um, then they said that the number was incorrect, and then he says that the true number is classified. So then he goes on to say, what's really interesting is that. When the SEAL raid happened in January 2017, there were so many troops in the sea that according to NBC, 2,200 troops were like in the immediate area on ships. So what exactly is going on here? We already know that we are bombing Yemen independently. So this whole stumbling into war that Howard Dean says, oh, we've stumbled into the Saudi war. No, we just sold them hundreds of millions of dollars in weapons, um, military intelligence to actually bomb targets. On, on top of that, we're independently bombing Yemen with, drone, with drones. And then on top of that, how many troops are there? How many troops are there? And why are there thousands of troops around Yemen on ships? It's so fascinating because it just shows you how phony Trump's rhetoric is because he actually said... It's not, it wasn't Iraq who blew up the Twin Towers. I know who blew up the, like, I think I, you'll find out who blew up the towers. You might find it's the Saudis who did it, he said. Um, wow. And this was like on like a Sean Hannity, like town hall event, like on Fox News. <laughs> and here he is when he's president, just dancing around with swords and pl playing with a magic orb. And it just, it's insane. So, I mean, yeah, it just shows you how much of a pathological liar. He just doesn't care about anything. Roger well, Stone probably just fed yeah. him that talking point or something. What's so weird about the Saudi Arabia thing is that he, this shows you how just dystopian this world is, where Trump is out there unfurling this big cartoon map again, right? Like Netanyahu loves these cartoons of these pictures because we're all children and we need to be shown photos like Fox News. But he's just like bragging about all the weapon systems that we're selling Saudi Arabia. Here's all these Saudi royals in the office. He's talking about how 
We're giving him uh, tanks and planes and missiles and fr- and frigates from U.S. companies. And my thing is, why are you? Why is the president boasting about how this is actually some big feat on behalf of the U.S. government? These are weapons companies that are making the deals. Why is it like a U.S. government like thing? You know what I mean? Why are we making like a, a photo op out of Trump? holding these banners, meeting with the Saudi royal family and like authorizing these weapons sales. Isn't that weird? It's really Raytheon and Boeing and Lockheed Martin. That's how it's like, that's one thing that the U.S. government traditionally has had a fascist relationship with defense companies. So like that's that's how it's like we approve these companies ability to sell weapons to these countries. So that's what we're doing. We're like, isn't it great that we've allowed that we we are allowing these arms deals to go through? Like, it's just. I mean, so it's weird. that, and then we also subsidize the deal themselves. Like, we yeah. contribute to it. So yeah. it's like it's very very surreal, though. I mean, it's it and is. it's just bizarre how that came after World War II. Essentially, I mean, I think there was, you know, there's definitely a merger of them before World War II was over. But the fact that that just stayed that way and that like we that's one of the defining characteristics of Nazi Germany is very odd that that's just how it's done still here. That there's such a revolving door and like relationship that's like a merger between these two, you know, this defense industry and the U.S. government. So fucking crazy. Well, I'm yeah, surprised I mean, he even did the photo op because I thought that he was still trying to pretend like he was like. Well, I don't and know. think about it this way: these defense companies are essentially all subsidized by the U.S. government because they wouldn't be able to sustain themselves if they didn't get these like giant cash injections for like ridiculous like surplus of shit. That I mean, America spends gives them way more money than any other you know country right. does. So they're dependent on just the amount we overspent on the military. They wouldn't even exist, really. They probably would have already collapsed. Maybe not Boeing, because they do like airplanes and shit, but... It's also curious the conspicuous silence from Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch about, you know, this this initiative in Congress. Not that we ever thought it was really going to yeah. pass, but I mean, it really... now that the, the Democrats have now started to be forced to actually talk about it, even like Tim Kaine... Well, that they were they were just totally silent, and I think they still are. Human Rights Watch and Amnesty. I mean, they yeah. really did not say one thing about this resolution. You would think Incredible. that they would have said something if if even Tim Kaine is saying. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's what I mean. It's weird. <laughs> Ken Roth must be getting some sort of finance from the. I mean, I don't know yeah. what the hell is going on with with Human Rights Watch and Amnesty about what who are the funders who are the backers, but it is very curious. Yo, what could so, be the reason? You know, it's so curious. I mean. And yeah, you could say that the 28 pages uh, is a limited hangout all day long if you want. That do- still doesn't preclude the, the fact that it's still remarkable that obviously the Saudi government and the royal family and the all billionaires that are there have so much power that they were able to bury, get the U.S. government to bury that part of the um, con- joint congressional inquiry into 9-11 for so long. Yeah. Like, that's right. impressive. I mean, the American people would really would have been if that had come out then. Um, who knows what would have happened? But it just is very interesting that that got hidden for that long. Like, they must have a lot of influence um, over the way we operate. Oh, tons! And so, and then the Guardian. There's just incessant pro Saudi regime advertisements and propaganda. I've I've seen it so much more recently. Um, I don't know why. Did you see that Walmart? Uh, magazine no so you know how sometimes when you go like to magazine racks in like stores they have like 
they're almost not like magazines that come out on a monthly basis. They're just like single issue, like weird sampler things where it's like fall or something. I'll just have like a bunch of like weird, it'll be almost like a hardcover sometimes. So it'll look like one of those about Saudi Arabia and like with the prints looking all glamorous on the front. And it was like, it was like trying to be like super cool, like making it look like really modern and hip. And it was like a, like a propaganda pamphlet, basically. But it was for sale at Walmart. Brought to you by Walmart. Yep. So do a Twitter search for Walmart Saudi Arabia and you'll see pictures of it. Jesus and it's Christ. people have photographed it at various Walmarts. Oh, so it's outlandish. They're you trying to get out minutes. to middle America now, maybe. Maybe yeah. they realize that even the right, like, maybe the danger is that when the right wing starts to hate Saudi Arabia, that's maybe when it'll really tip. Or even yeah, Israel. Yeah, they got to act fast. Or even Israel. They- Right. They got to act fast. That's why you see, I've seen way more pro-Israel propaganda. Like every, it's just so out of the blue. It's like totally non sequitur. All of a sudden Israel will be brought up. Like I told you, I was listening to NPR um, or no, I was listening to like this French radio station with my friend Maria. And all of a sudden this English ad came on and this woman was like, come to Israel. She's like, Israel's a really great country. She's like, we love we love when tourists come to Israel. And Maria was like, I've literally never heard anyone speak English on here before. And it's like the first English advertisement, like reaching like millennial people who are listening to like this avant-garde music station was just like a random Israel ad. And I'm just seeing it way more and more and more on NPR, for example, in between um, hagiographies of, of the old king, you have the new king painted as some revolutionary. And then like the next story was like some Israeli musician who's like struggling. I don't even know. I was like, what is happening here? Seriously. Oh, and then on a side note, just the whole, you know, YouTube saying, you know, Telesaur is state funded by Latin American governments. And then you have RTs funded by the Russian government. What does it say on Al Jazeera and BBC? Oddly, it doesn't say funded by the Qatari government. Oddly, it doesn't say funded by the British government. What does it government. say? Right now. Yeah, yeah, load it up right now. I'm really curious. Um, and I and it is interesting because I it's very interesting actually psychologically. And I don't know how to explain what I experienced because I'm not surprised by it, but I am surprised by it every time I go back. And I've done this a few times over the last few months. Go back to an old RT video from your show, for example and see that there it's really jarring to me still right and and I, like i don't know it's it's very i mean it is very unsettling that if you really want to narrow it down it was only twitter and youtube which is a subsidiary of google that did something to directly speak to the public about russian meddling in a sort of sly way twitter sent that email out YouTube put those warnings up. And I think that's very I, interesting. And I and I I think we need to remember that those two companies did that. I just okay, so egg on my face. It does say Qatari government shockingly. No I, way. Last time I no looked at this, shit. the last time I looked at this, it did not say no that. No. And now you see the Farah thing going after Al Jazeera. Now so you maybe see someone at YouTube is trolling Something a happened. Bit. Something happened, but here's the interesting thing. Guess what it says for BBC? Wow. This what? is curious. It says publicly funded British broadcaster. Publicly funded British broadcaster. So what's the difference between taking tax money from people in Britain to fund BBC as opposed to Qatar or Russia? The difference, the difference is that someone from the BBC, someone from the British <laughs> government visited the YouTube headquarters and they're like, look, we need to say something about public broadcasting because we can't, we just can't be next to RT like this. <laughs> 
I mean, it has to be. It's just, yeah, that's really good that they were able to massage that. What does PBS say? Publicly funded? Yep. 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 KQED? Yeah, let's load up a few more. What are some other ones we can think of? Press TV. Iranian government probably says. Sure, it'll say that. Um, What else is there? NHK? Wow, Wow, PBS, publicly funded American broadcaster. No shit. Publicly funded. Publicly funded. Not corporations, not the Koch brothers, not big oil. Go to KQED now. Just public funds. Hold on. Yeah, no, the KQED thing doesn't say anything. That's interesting. So just maybe they're only doing it to the bigger named ones for now. PBS is the biggest, I guess. Right, right, right. Very, very interesting. So we'll see where it goes. But the Al Jazeera um, designation is is disturbing because it, just like we said, I mean, it's not just going to end with Russia. As oh, we what know. about NPR? Nothing. Huh. Nothing. Interesting. That is really interesting because we know who, who funds them. Oil companies? Um, and Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, Coke Brothers families. and oil companies and Saudi. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Did you notice when um, you went to the MET, uh, the Met Museum in New York, there was a Coke Brothers wing? Are you shitting me? No, and it's actually like one of the best parts of the museum. Like The, the Egyptian Or one? no, wait, I'm sorry, not, not the, the MET. Family? No, 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 I'm sorry, I'm wrong. Family? It's the Natural History Museum, okay. I think. Wow, so Sackler family who created uh, uh, Oxycontin and the Koch brothers. Good. I'm glad that's who's who's sponsoring the arts. Yeah, that's really if this great. was a different podcast, we might be making a joke right now about how the museum was built off of a pile of dead Appalachian fent herders or something like that. <laughs> but we're not. We're not. We're not that podcast. We're Media Roots Radio. We're Media Roots Radio. And we don't joke about the move bombing. Um, <laughs> so. In case you missed it, um, we seem like we almost got to the brink of a, another Iraq-style push for war, but this time a push for war with Russia in the last couple of weeks via Theresa May doing a speech to British Parliament, um, basically making a declaration of war, uh, in a way, towards Russia for an alleged nerve agent chemical weapons attack on a former Russian spy who had defected to the UK um, and who was actually now working, I guess, or he was not a double agent, but he was working for UK intelligence at various points, um, that he was allegedly, uh, uh, the Russians tried to kill him um, because he had betrayed them eight years later after he had fled Russia. Um, and I guess he was already in a Russian prison. So the rationale for, oh, and the reason why Theresa May says that they decided Russia did it is not just because of who the target was, but because of the weapon of choice, which they say is a weapon called Novichok, I think. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it, but it is a chemical weapon gas that only Russia apparently has access to because it was only developed by them during the Cold War, which immediately, actually, that claim specifically that it only Russia had access to this, they were the only people who made this weapon, is actually not true. It doesn't hold up to what we know about this weapon and who, what other countries have developed it. And we also know that um, after the Soviet Union collapsed, a lot of the stuff was removed from the Soviet Union by third parties, other countries. Right. 
that claim doesn't necessarily hold up. What also doesn't necessarily hold up is we don't have any proof and we haven't been shown any that this is what the this is what was used. Novik choke that was used to like apparently try to kill this guy. Which is notable because we also were never shown any forensic evidence that it was Saren that Assad allegedly used during that first uh, chemical weapons attack that happened around, I think, 2013. It kind of, kind of feels like that again. And to have someone, to have like the British prime minister coming out and saying that Russia had just like launched a chemical weapons attack. Yeah, an act of war. And I mean, that it, it really <clears throat> heated up very quickly. And it seemed like for about a week, seemed like the heat was coming at Trump once again so that to make him say something about it and say that this is like inexcusable, this is Putin trying to murder someone in the UK, this is an act of war. Like, I think a lot of people were wanting Trump to say that at the time, to sort of complete the circle between the UK and the US, just like we did during the Iraq war. We had Tony Blair on one side and Bush on the other side, basically echoing the same message about Iraq. And it seemed like some kind of unified front to us, you know, to our dumb Americans over here. It's like, oh, the guy, the guy who speaks English in Europe also agrees with our president. Yay, like, let's do this. Like, we're all together on this, you know, even though it was like only us, them, Poland, and like a handful of other countries. So um, it's very, very disturbing. Um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, anyone who's questioning this, even people who are like, this is probably Russia. Russia's known for assassinating their opponents, blah, blah, blah. But let's pause for a second and make sure we have all the evidence. Like, Jeb was pretty much Jeremy Corbyn's framing of it. Right. And because he took that stance, he got fucking bludgeoned and smeared in the press to the point where the BBC even showed his <laughs> picture in the background while they were talking about him in front of the Kremlin with red uh, Photoshop background in the sky. Um, with a like a Russian hat on his head, <laughs> they photoshopped his hat to make it look more Russian. That's what we're dealing with. Yeah, right that's now. he's a that's Kremlin agent and a Putin stooge. Putin stooge, dude. So when Jeremy Corbyn, mm-hmm. Jeremy Corbyn even made me cringe when I read his statement because I was like, dude, you don't have to concede all this shit about Putin being like a murderer. I mean, I don't know exactly what he said. I don't know if he said exactly that, but just what I remember reading of his statement, it kind of reminded me of like Bernie Sanders talking about Russian and meddling. I'm just like, dude, why are you conceding to this obviously false narrative? Just don't, just say what you wanted to say. And look at, he gets lambasted. He still gets lambasted. Just like Bernie Sanders gets lambasted for like saying that Stormy Daniels and Russia is like a distraction from like Trump's horribleness. Right. Yeah, I mean, when I first heard this story, I, I was like, oh, shit, like some Russian spy got like an assassination attempt. And then I realized more that he actually, you know, was in Britain for the last couple of decades, was living out in the open, was actually had way closer ties to the MI6, considering he flipped. And um, I just thought it was interesting because I was like, huh, the first thing that I would think of was that like Britain had something to do with it. You know, it was just weird to immediately go to Russia um, and then, especially on the eve of this World Cup competition that we know, you know, Putin and, and Russia are very proud about sports. That's why the Olympic was so devastating to take them out of the Olympics. And a week before the presidential election. So it's like Putin's going to like launch or the Kremlin is going to launch some like assassination attempt against an ex-spy. 
um, that pose no threat or relevance whatsoever to Russia right now. It was kind of like that, what was it, Nemstov, that guy who died in front Nemstov. of the Kremlin and everyone was like, everyone yeah. was like, yeah, this is like his biggest opposition opponent. Uh-huh. And then Mark Ames was like, no, this guy literally hasn't been relevant for like 20 years. Um, yeah, I mean, when you see the bigger picture, you start realizing people like Gary Kasparov, Boris Nemtsov. I mean, they they cavort they when they come over here. I mean, they always just hang out with like our neocons here, like literally right. project for the new American century neocons. They can't find better people in the United States to like talk about their cause to. That says a lot about them, I think. I mean, I don't, I don't care what else they've said or what, you know, how much you think they're seriously into human rights, but that's just really curious that Boris Nemtsov seems like he's but great buddies with Dan Senor of the Foreign Policy Initiative. That's fucking, that's weird. And that's, that's yeah. you know, so <clears throat> it is very interesting how much we distort things over here. I mean, it's, it's obvious why we do it. We want to paint a false portrait of what's going on. Um, but don't isn't it weird that we never talk about David Kelly? Like for all the stuff about people oh yeah. who are poisoned or assassinated, David Kelly was a scientist, a biological weapons scientist. He was employed by the, the British Ministry of Defense. He, um, you know, he basically in two thousand three said that uh, that Iraq didn't have WMDs. He was found dead. He was found dead mysteriously. The British government basically covered it up, said that From he an committed suicide, suicide. Yeah. and then guess what? The autopsy report is classified for 70 years. Mm-hmm. And we you can't actually know. see the autopsy. Huh, that's weird. He was just found dead in the woods right after he came out and, and, and tried to stand contrary to the Downing Street memo manipulation. And it gets way darker than that. So that, that might have even been a, and, I, and I, you know, I don't use this phrase very often, but a limited hangout cover story for why he might have been killed. Because just like Frank Olson who a lot of people now, since seeing Wormwood, have learned that Frank Olson didn't jump out of a window from a MK Ultra experiment gone wrong, which is bad enough, you know, that the CIA might have tried to cover something like that up. That's, that's what they tried to admit to, which is a, the definition of a limited hangout operation. President Ford and the CIA conspired to release a fake cover story to make it seem like the CIA was really guilty of something very irresponsible, that they provided LSD to Frank Olson, under, not under the care of doctors, and he went crazy and jumped out the window and killed himself. That's what they were willing to tell the family, which was a lie, but it still made them seem like they were somehow taking you know, on some of the responsibility. What really happened, actually, probably, and what Errol Morris more or less proves by laying out all the evidence in his documentary, and that other people have proved already in books, um, apparently that Errol Morris didn't credit uh, on some of these books, so I've been told. Um, but Frank Olson was actually working on and had direct evidence uh, of the, um, the idea that we use biological weapons in the Korean War, and we tried to cover it up. And um, apparently he was bludgeoned uh, before he fell out the window. Wow. So uh, someone possibly, you know, murdered him to cover up the fact that he became extremely depressed and seemed poised to blow the whistle on the U.S. government's using illegal biological weapons against whatever conventions existed at the time in the Korean War. 
it seems likely that he was murdered by the CIA to cover that up. Now, David Kelly was similarly working with biological weapons. This is a theme, a very dark theme that goes through U.S. and U.K. government history, uh, that bioweapon scientists who have expertise in bioweapons sometimes mysteriously commit suicide or die after they learn about certain things. So David Kelly allegedly knew about a program that was a collaboration between the U.K. and South African government at the time during apartheid to develop a bioweapon that would only kill South African blacks if it was deployed um, in that country. Now, that could have been what he was killed for. You know, who knows? Maybe they, I mean, maybe they were trying to scare other Iraq war whistleblowers at the time. It was just crazy that he died like two days after he did this testimony or whatever. Yep. I mean, it's just bizarre timing. And um, one of the and last... he actually went to Iraq. Didn't he go to Iraq like twice to I actually think he go did, on yeah. The, yeah. And he developed a very close relationship with Judith Miller right before he died. And uh, one of the last um, things that he, one of the last people he talked to was Judith um, Miller before he died. And he said something like, um, be careful who you think your friends are or something to her in an email. Um, wow. So wow. very, very interesting. You know, Bruce Ivins, did, right. he, did he actually commit suicide a week, conveniently a week before the FBI was officially going to file charges on him while acting FBI director at the time, Robert Mueller, who had spent the, mo- the FBI's, mo- the most of the FBI's resources in the history of their agency on this single investigation, who was in charge of it ultimately, decided to eat at a restaurant across the street while his underlings were sweating and stuttering their way through this press conference saying Bruce Ivins was the uh, culprit. So that's another mysterious incident that we'll, you know, never, we'll possibly never know the truth about. Um, but instead, Americans know more about Litvinenko and polonium and now know more about this, you know, Novichok uh, poisoning in the UK. And that's very uh, peculiar to me that we just choose not to know about these mysterious bioweapons, you know, on one level, even just the victims of the anthrax attacks themselves. Can you imagine... If Russia, if a Russian bioweapon killed five people in Russia, just like even including journalists, what we would say here, we would immediately yeah, exactly. say Putin right did after, it. Like a 9 11 type yeah. event. We would immediately say Putin did it. We have no problem saying that Putin and Russia did their apartment building bombings. That's been a thing that com- constantly comes up and, you know, some of these like Putin exposes and stuff. It's just very interesting to me the way what we choose to talk about and what we don't. And how, you know, there's no proof that Putin killed Anna Polovskaya. I mean, the fact that she was shot on his birthday and stuff like that. I mean, there's <laughs> definitely things that seem like, you know, either someone was trying to frame Putin for it or he did do it and want to send a message. I mean, I don't know. However, like if something like that happened here, you know, if some, it's just interesting to think about if you just tra- like Michael Hastings. If, if Michael Hastings was Russian and had just come back from Chechnya and was told by a Chechen general, if you report anything that makes us look bad when you get home, we will hunt you down and kill you. And months later, this Russian journalist named Michael Hastings crashed into a palm tree at like 90 miles per hour. What would we say here? It's just really interesting when you flip that around, like to think that how... It just traps us in this sort of like we can't 
believe that we are capable of those kind of things. And to wrap this up, Robbie, I just saw an article where Trump says he really wants to unite the country, Robbie, but it's going to be really hard without a major event. Without a major event. He says, he says the country needs to be united amid tremendous divisiveness and hopes he can do so without a traumatic event affecting Americans. Because he said, Americans usually come together during times of suffering. I would love to be able to bring back our country into a great form of unity. Without a major event where people pull together, that's hard to do. But it would be nice to do it without that major event because usually that major event is not a good thing. Is that insane? When did Trump say that? Oh, this was January 30th. I can't believe we missed this. This was, this was, this was reported, you, right, at the State of the Union. Yeah, he said oh this. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is... Uh, is absent, just, absent a catalyzing and catastrophic event. And did you see like what a new Frank Pearl Gaffney Harbor. said? Did you see that no. tweet I showed you? Which one? I'm going to, hold on, I'm going to read it to you. Okay, it just, it just creeps me out, man. I don't know. I mean, so, once Frank Gaffney, PNAC signatory, learned of the the John Bolton announcement, he said, real Donald Trump has replaced an insubordinate national security advisor with a loyal, competent one, John Bolton. It's a game changer for his presidency and for our nation. Congratulations, Mr. President. It truly is morning in America. Let's roll, exclamation mark. Let's roll, 911.com. And I was just like, yikes. Maybe these guys are getting like boners in their pants again. It's really scary. Maybe Wolfowitz and all these people are going to give start giving speeches saying that they just have this weird prediction that a big event yeah. is going to happen where Trump's just going to somehow unify the country. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Uh, some um, Ozymandias shit's going to start happening. Dude, well, you guys just be on the lookout because things are crazy and the Russia stuff's getting worse and we have to just look at why things are the way they are. That's just, I mean, why would you not want to be that person who understands the context of world events? I want to be that person, shouldn't you? So nothing's black and white. The media is so cartoonishly hysterical about this Russia stuff. Even everyone on Twitter, Facebook, all the commentary on U.S. media is so cartoonish. Again, just like painting the situation as if uh, as if there's no nuances at all, right? And so it's up to us to try to shift that narrative and inject some sort of sanity into the conversation, whether it be your friends, families, coworkers, Look into everything I'm saying. It's all it's all there. Um, research it for yourself. Don't take anything we say at face value. Just have us be another angle um, to f- to navigate. You know the media spectrum that you're navigating, and hopefully you can come out with the same perspective that we do. Because man, it's really crazy and it's getting worse. And I feel like everyone's just really like dived off the deep end here. Yeah, and now is a more important time than ever to, to you know, when something like this comes up, like this alleged poisoning incident in the UK, where everyone's jumping, piling on and saying that Putin did this and he's trying to like send a message to the world. This is how dangerous he's become, that he doesn't even care if he gets caught, etc. You, you just can't, you have to take a step back, you know? I mean, it's just really important to look at... Um, you know, analysis that shows the larger picture and that, and that shows you that a lot of things the mainstream media are saying about it are true. Like the fact that, that only Russia could have been behind this Novichok agent, um, this, this chemical agent is just simply not true. Um, I would recommend going to Craig Murray's 
blog about this. He's been writing an awful lot about it. Um, I would recommend even going to Global Research, even though I don't think so, you know a lot of the articles they do sometimes bug me for different reasons. The stuff they've been doing on this is is uh, pretty solid. Um, I would recommend going to Media Lens. Even there's some stuff they've been putting out on this Consortium News has been doing good analysis on this subject. Uh, the World Socialist website has been doing some good analysis. And just just try to find alternate analysis. Nafiz Ahmed wrote a really good breakdown of it. Just seek out alternative sources of information on this. And I don't mean like controlled opposition clickbait bullshit. I really don't. And I think if you've listened to us long enough, you kind of know what I'm talking about. I don't even want to give any of those idiots publicity right now um, because they're just clickbait charlatans. So... Yeah, no, it, and it's it's just an un, unreal um, time, you know, like where you just saying facts and just talking about this makes you a Kremlin puppet and a Putin stooge and just be prepared for that. But that's going to come no matter what because of the just mass hallucinations that are going on. I mean, it speaks much more about the people who are loving those insults than it does about you for simply stating facts about the world. So just remember that. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our double whammy. We're about to come out with a triple episode, so stay tuned for that. You guys, let us know what you think on our SoundCloud timeline. Check us out on iTunes as well. And donate to our Patreon. We're, um, we are really, really honored and um, really excited about all the support that we are getting and all the feedback, and we really appreciate you guys a lot. Thank you so much. And we made a promise to mention all of your names, all of the patrons of ours on the podcast we will do that on the next episode we promise um every single one of you and thank you so much for donating we really appreciate the support be